morning. Hi, I'm Greg, and I'm a runaway prophet. I want to tell you my story. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, some son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid his fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the marines were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up! Call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord 
and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. This morning, I want us to learn, to remember, to experience, to accept what it is to call out to the Lord, to Yahweh, God, from the belly of Sheol, as God's people, sent but rebellious. So we've been in a season of seeking to hear from God. I think we've been, we've been faithfully pursuing that endeavor. I think we've been listening. We've been listening in a variety of ways. We've been asking God to show us where God wants us to go where the will of God for us is, how to participate in God's mission in our place, in our time. We've been listening. And I think we've begun to hear. We took up an offering this morning for Mitchell Nielsen because God has opened a door into that part of our community, into that part of our neighborhood into those lives, those children and their families. God is sending Stones River Church to serve and speak in the name of Jesus 
and love our neighbors right there. We are sent. Hearing the Word of God is one thing. Responding is another. I think that's what Jonah has to teach us this morning. We're hearing. I believe that. I believe the American church as a whole is hearing in our lifetime a clear call from the Lord saying, wake up, get up, and serve your own people. The mission is all around you. I believe Stones River is hearing a call to its own neighborhood. I think just like Jonah, the call is clear for us. And when he turns the other direction, when he says no, he knows exactly what he's doing. He can't say, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to serve. He can't say that. In his own heart, he says, I heard and I will not go. I wonder whether we can claim otherwise. See, the book of Jonah is a mirror. I'm holding up this mirror this morning. Have you ever, have you ever sinned and you knew it and then you looked at yourself in the mirror and you felt it in your gut looking into your own face? Has anybody ever experienced that? Man, I have hard to look at yourself in the mirror. And I, I believe that's what Jonah is for us. I think that's what it was for God's people, Israel. I think that's what it is for God's people, the church, the children of Abraham, Israel. That's us. So we look into this mirror and maybe the first question we ask ourselves as we look into our own eyes is why? Why do I refuse? What is it with me? Well, part of the reason that the book functions as a mirror for the whole people of God is because it's designed to. See, the author of this book put off the explanation of Jonah's motive so that it's a it's a it, it's a blank slate the reader goes i don't know why he's doing this he just did it and so now i have to ask myself what are my motives i don't know his motives 
That, that comes later, and that's for, that's for John to share in the next sermon, maybe. But for now, we just have to reckon with the fact that there's a call upon us as the church, the people of God. There's a commission upon us. And we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing here? Why? Why do we kick against the goads? As Jesus said to Paul. Why? Jonah, boy, it's hard to look into this mirror. (laughs) It is hard to look at this because he runs away and as soon as disaster strikes because of him, because of his decisions, as soon as the consequences come rolling in, he is sound asleep. Everybody else is panicking. Everybody else knows that this is really bad. This is not what's supposed to happen. And he's fine. He is fine with it. He sleeps like a man with a clean conscience. Deep in that sleep. I I couldn't help but think of this verse in Ephesians 5. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then we sang the verse this morning. Your face will shine on us, and the world will know. Sleeper, wake up. But Jonah's asleep. And I... I can't help but look in this mirror and think, am I asleep right here? Am I okay with the way that this is going? I'm comfortable with these choices. I'm reconciled to whatever's coming. Are we asleep, church? I mean, do we need to hear Paul say these words to us? Sleeper, wake up. Do we need to hear Jesus in the garden again say, wake up. It's happening. This is the moment. Wake up. Be vigilant. Pray. Get ready for what's coming. Or are we going to stay asleep? You could probably already tell, but this is a, this is a tragedy. This story is a tragedy. I was, I was, as I was reading Jonah over and over and contemplating this, I couldn't help but think of uh, one of my favorite movies, which is Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, Will Ferrell plays a character who is, in real life, somehow being narrated by a famous fiction author. So he finds out that he's the character in a story and that somebody else is writing the story. And in a panic, he goes to a professor of literature and tries to figure out what's happening. And the task that the professor gives him is, well, the first thing you need to do is figure out whether this is a comedy or a tragedy. And so he takes a notebook and he goes through his whole day and he's got a column for comedy and a column for tragedy. And at the end of the day, it's very clearly a tragedy. Right? (laughs) And... As I was looking at Jonah, 
it's sort of that same thing because it's really funny. I mean, th- this is written with maybe the most irony of any section of Scripture that you could find. It is so packed with this sort of comedic wink from the author. But the thing is, it's not the cute kind of irony. It's not, it's not Alanis Morissette kind of irony. It's the kind of irony where you look at it and you go, oh, man. That is deeply and profoundly tensive. These two things at once, and you go, how can that be? How can those two things be together? It's a tragedy. So let me, let me walk you through some of the key ironies in these first two chapters. This is a way, of, I think, of getting into the details of the, of the text. The first is that God's first word, and this is hidden in my translation. I was reading from the NRSV. I don't know if your translation has a different beginning, but the first word that God says is simply the command verb, up, get up. It's a single word in Hebrew. Up and go to Nineveh. And then when Jonah's asleep, the ship's captain comes down and says the very same thing to him. Up, probably translated wake up in your version, but it's just the same. And the irony is that the word of God that came to Jonah and told him go to the Gentiles is now coming to Jonah through a Gentile. God sent Jonah to speak and instead... God is sending this Gentile captain to speak to Jonah. It's all wrong. It's all backwards. The second sharp irony is that the evil that God responds to in Nineveh is actually what Jonah brings upon the crew. And again, this is hidden in translation. In what I read It says, the wickedness of Nineveh has come up before me. And then later on, when the crew is describing what's happening, they say, why has this calamity come upon us? But once again, it's the same word both times in the Hebrew text. And you could just translate it as evil in both cases. This terrible thing that's happening because of Nineveh's way of life, this terrible thing that is happening Because somebody here has angered their God. Either way, it's real bad news. It's evil. And so God was responding to that evil and saying, No, I will not have that evil, not even among those Assyrians. And I want you to go tell them that so that they change. Because that's the purpose of a prophetic word, right? Always. It's so that they change. So that life changes for the people of Nineveh. So Jonah was supposed to go and put a stop to it in the name of God, and instead he put a start to it in the lives of these sailors. He became the cause of evil for them. Third irony, and very similarly, Instead of being the reason for salvation, 
Jonah is the reason for danger. Here, the connection is the because of, where Jonah confesses, I know that this has come upon you because of me. And that's the opposite of what was supposed to happen. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this shortly, but I want to underline that the evil in Nineveh was supposed to stop because of Jonah. Because of him. The irony of his agency, of, of, of him being the cause one way or the other, is terrible. It's awful in this story. It's no joke. Fourth, Jonah flees from the presence of God, the God of heaven who created the sea and the land. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very emphatic. It says three times that he's fleeing from the presence of God. And then as soon as they say, which God do you worship? He says, I worship the God from whom there is no escape. Right? Because the heavens cover everything. He's not the God of storms. He's not the God of fertility. He's not the God of just the sea. That's Tiamat. He's not the God of the mountain. He is the God of heaven, the skies, from end to end of planet Earth, who, he knows, created everything. The sea and everything in it, as we shall see shortly. And so, the reader has to go, what kind of idiot am I? Because this is a mirror, remember? We're not beating up Jonah. We're looking in the mirror. How do you live? Who do you worship? And the way that those fail to reconcile in our lives is tragic. Who do you worship? The God of heaven. Another great irony, this one's a little sweeter, is that despite Jonah saying, no, I will not go to those people, the whole crew converts. And this isn't superficial. We know that because they make vows, right? They're polytheists. The whole premise of their conversation with Jonah is, all right, we've checked with all of our gods. Doesn't seem to be doing any good. How about yours? Right? Because this is a this is a this is a pluralistic, open, accepting society. Right? And you do you and I do me and it's all good. Okay? But we gotta figure out what the source of the problem is. And so when it comes to them finally fearing God and making sacrifices to God. And the imagery here, this is, this, is, this is only temple imagery for the people of God. You only make sacrifices in the temple. The, the practice of the presence of God from which Jonah was fleeing has been transported to the deck of this ship. 
by the faithful, fearful response of these pagans. But it's not just them playing the polytheism game. They make vows. They say, we are with this God now. In fact, Jonah's prayer toward the end of it, when he talks about idolaters forsaking their true loyalty, is pointing this out. This moment comes when, when you figure out who Yahweh is and every other loyalty you had is no longer interesting. And you make vows. You say, I will keep those vows. So, despite his every effort not to serve and love his Assyrian neighbors in the name of God, the whole crew converts anyway. Which is grace, which is hopeful for us, isn't it? As we look in this mirror and we think, good God, are you, are you that generous that in the midst of my own rebellion, you would still make me the cause, the cause of salvation? And he is. He is the cause of salvation because unless he answers their question faithfully, they don't know who's causing this storm. It's very important. The reason that I've said Yahweh, the reason that I put that on the title slide is because he doesn't say God and he doesn't say Lord There are many lords and many gods. That's their problem in the first place. He says the name of the creator God of heaven and earth, given to Moses, revealed the personal name, the name that means this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and of David. This is Yahweh. And if he doesn't say that in the midst of this calamity, in the midst of the evil, even that he has caused, if he doesn't say that, they don't know what to do. So at least in this, Jonah remains a prophet. He speaks the name of God on behalf of God. He speaks the truth. Even if his own Shipmates had to wake him up to do it. Jonah flees from the presence of God, but laments being driven away. Here we see a little bit of the self-pity, maybe the churlishness of Jonah in this song. He chose to flee from the presence of God, and there's just no doubt that for an Israelite, the presence of God is about the temple. It's about God's nearness to Israel because of the covenant and therefore over the Ark of the Covenant in the innermost sanctuary of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And it's a serious proximity and relationship to that presence that sets Jonah on that mission. 
And it's that that he's running away from. The presence of God. And then as soon as everything goes bad for him, he starts whining. Will I ever see the temple again? You drove me away from your presence, he says. Which is an unbelievable thing to say in this story. But at least it's honest. You know, when you look in this mirror, you don't find a tidy little prayer of repentance. You find what it actually looks like when we start reckoning with our own rebellion. When we start trying to, to die to that self in us, that will to do something else. And it's not pretty. And our prayers aren't exactly maybe what they ought to be. It's not a switch that you can flip. It's not one day to the next. You don't get to immediately go, okay, I'm good now. I'm doing everything right now. I know what to do and I'm doing it. There's a trip you have to make and sometimes it's a long trip. That's what Jonah's on. And finally, the, the deep irony here is that Jonah disobeys God's commission which would result in deliverance for Assyria if they were to heed the prophetic word. It would be deliverance for them. And that's what he says no to. Not going to do it. And yet the conclusion that he comes to here is that Deliverance belongs to Yahweh. It's God's to decide who is saved. It's God's to decide whether Assyria receives mercy. It's God's, not mine. And I don't think this is a realization. You could read it that way. I don't think this is Jonah saying, I was wrong before and now I believe. I think this is Jonah saying what he always believed and he knew he was saying no to. This is an old, old song. Salvation belongs to our God. We sang it this morning. This is a psalm that Israel has sung for a long time. Jonah knows this. This is what he chooses to rebel against. The deliverance extended to others. And so it's painfully ironic to hear him worshiping and giving thanks that deliverance belongs to God when he won't extend it to anyone else. Okay, so that's what's going on, I think. As the, as the overwhelming irony of this tragedy crashes upon me, looking in the mirror, and I recognize that there's a, there's a powerful truth here, which is that Jonah's participation in mission matters. This is not a personal tragedy. This isn't just about Jonah. It's about us. We look in the mirror. And this image reflecting back lets us know it matters if you say no. 
It matters if you choose something else. When God calls you into the lives of your neighbors and you say, too busy, too scared, too selfish, whatever it is. We haven't talked about motives. Whatever it is. If you say no, it changes everyone's life. There are stakes here. It matters. Why does God bother with Jonah? Why go to all this trouble? I mean, is it like there's a shortage of other prophets? Or is it like God couldn't communicate to the Assyrians any other way he chose? I mean, are we really thinking that that there are no other options here? No, well, of course there are, and that's what makes this point so sharp. Because we could look at our neighborhood and go, well, if I fail, God will save whom he will save, however he will save them anyway. And Jonah goes, no, actually, he will hunt you down and send you again. Because it matters that you say yes, that you obey. Maybe there are other options in the scope of divine omnipotence. Surely there are other options, but that's not the story. You're looking in the mirror and reckoning with the fact that people live and die by your choices. What you do and what you say matters, and you don't get to pretend otherwise. You can run away from it, but you don't get to pretend otherwise. That's why the crew's in danger. Because it matters what Jonah does. It's why the crew comes to fear Yahweh. Because they were in Jonah's life. Because he spoke Yahweh's name. It's why, as we'll see in the next week or so, it's why Nineveh repents. And they wouldn't have if he hadn't gone. matters. But in order to participate, in order to get there, Jonah had to die. Now obviously in the story, that's not what happens literally. But in the text, that is what happens figuratively. This is the journey that Jonah's on. He thinks he's on a journey to Tarshish. He's actually on a journey to the belly of Sheol, the place where the dead go. Hell, as we call it in English. Hades, as they call it in Greek. The place of the dead. We pass through death on the way to missional life. We who are honest when we look in this mirror and we go, you know what? We're running away. We're not there. We who ask ourselves why. We who reckon with our own sinful will. We pass through death in order to get to missional life. 
I want to I want to read this passage in Matthew with you because I don't want you to take this connection superficially. Let's flip over to Matthew uh, 14, 12, 12. Scrolling down to verse 38. Then some of the, the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. This is not just a, just a weird sort of foreign rabbinical way of thinking where it's like, oh look, three and three and he's in something and I'm in something. Jonah says that he goes down into the depths of hell into the belly of Sheol. He comes to life's end. He comes to the moment when death is all that's left. And that's why Jesus makes this connection. Because he goes through the cross into death. In fact, the confession of the church since ancient days is that he descended into hell and preached the word and then was resurrected to life. And so the, the story of the cross and the death and the new life of Jesus that is the disciples' story because Jesus himself says, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself. She must deny herself. Take up their cross, and follow me. The will of the disciple comes through death, through self-denial, through going into the belly of the beast, all the way into the depths of shale, and letting that will die. Letting that self that says, no, I'm going somewhere else. I'm doing something else. I've got too much else going on. I've got my own problems. I'm not enough. There's not enough. The self that says all of that when God says, up and go, that's what dies because we take up the cross. This is our descent and our reckoning. We have to look in this mirror. So the end of the story is this. Jonah remembers or learns or relearns or something. He comes to this conclusion. Deliverance belongs to Yahweh. 
If God says, these are the people to whom I'm sending you, these are the people I will you to love and speak the truth to and to risk your life for, these are the people I intend to save. These are the people I intend to make my people. When God says that, if we take up the cross and follow Jesus, then we go. But sometimes, sometimes we have to die first. God's will is the heartbeat of the church's missional life. I keep praying for Stones River to move into missional life together. To move into a way of life that is not only listening, but is also responsive. Not as individuals, but as a community of disciples of Christ followers. A community that is willing together to look into the mirror of the book of Jonah. To confess to reckon with our sin, our willfulness, our obstinacy, our choices, to reckon with the stakes of our participation, the difference it will make for the lives of the people to whom God sends us, not because we're important, but because God sends us, and says yes. I want that. I long for that. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's life. And so I pray, I pray God's blessing on us. I pray, Lord God, that you also receive our thanks. I pray that you, I pray that you help us die to ourselves that you reshape our will so that we can pray unironically your will be done on earth as in heaven so that we can align our lives and go joyfully where you send us whatever the costs whatever the risks pray you teach us to say yes, to wake up, to get up, and to go if you say go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, using us despite all our frailty, despite our weakness. Thank you, Lord, for the way your grace works through us. Only we want to align our lives more with that grace. We ask you, Lord, in your mercy, in your patience, to call us, to hunt us down, to send us into the depths, if that's where we need to go, but in the end, to bring us into missional life together. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.